Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast, you know this, it's all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life and what next steps do you want to take to get there. And I'm your host, Darren Johnson. Welcome to episode 103. If you're new to the show, welcome to you. Many of you have been here since the beginning. Welcome back. And for everyone, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I don't want you to miss a one. And I'm glad you're here. Episode 103 is going to be another good one. We are joined by our special guest, Will Cady. And Will's background is probably one of the most diverse creative backgrounds you're ever going to find. And you'll see how that plays out in the interview. Will is Reddit's global brand ambassador, where he launched, hired, and managed Reddit's LA brand partnerships office and the Karma Lab creative strategy team. And he tapped into years of experience driving revenue-driving programs that connect brands with fast-growing areas of music and art and experience just as they reach their tipping points. Fascinating. And his brand strategy work covers a majority of the Fortune 100 brands. He's a creative guy, does a lot. He's a graduate of Berklee College of Music, also recipient of an Emmy Award for Best Musical Composition and Arrangement, and has been featured as a member of the 2020 Adweek Top 50 for Tech, Media, and Marketing. And his original music, a lot of people have been streaming it, over 2 million streams on Spotify and counting. Will is also the author of a new book, Which Way is North? A Creative Compass for Makers, Marketers, and Mystics. So what can you expect to learn in this interview? You're going to get some great insights on how to navigate your career, whatever that might be. And you're going to get a masterclass on how creative people think and how they view the world and how they push boundaries. And you'll also get some great tips on how to network with others and one question that could change everything. Okay, let's get episode 103 started. Will Katie is in the house, and this is a deep dive in creativity in a way that probably never heard before. Let's get into it. Here, everyone, is Will Katie. Will, welcome to the podcast. It is really good having you here. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Okay, Will, you heard a little bit of my introduction, mm -hmm. and you're a brand new author. Congratulations on your brand new book. How's it going? What does it feel like? I don't know. Uh, it's a new experience for me. And, you know, here's what I've noticed. Music is pretty immediate in terms of you put a song out there and it takes people, let's say, three to five minutes to experience what you've created. If it's one song, maybe an hour, if it's an album, a book, everybody, it could take people uh, a week, some people a day, some people a weekend, some people a month. It might take people a year. So I'm at that phase right now where I've gotten that amazing big hug from friends and family where everybody has sent me their photos of like the book fresh out of the box. And it's, it's, that is an amazing feeling, but I don't know the experience that anybody is having yet. So I'm in this like yeah. gap period between where I've clapped my hands and the Canyon hasn't echoed back. <laughs> so I'm waiting for that echo. <laughs> I love that story. Really a killer, killer book. What was the motivation behind writing it in the first place? And then I got to ask you about your background, which is unbelievable. Thank you. Uh, it's layered. So the subtitle of the book is For Makers, Marketers, Mystics. So as a maker, music, again, being my my primary background, as a musician, I'm, I'm nothing but a mockingbird. And, you know, we hear something, we see something. I think a lot of artists are like this. We want to contribute to what we find in our environment. 
And so as you can see for me, I'm surrounded by books in this room. Yeah. And there's kind of like an inner child there that's like, oh, gee, wouldn't it be nice if I could put one of their of my own up on that shelf? So that was the motivation there. As a marketer, it's a calling card. It's uh it's something that lets people know how I think and where I stand, what I have to offer and contribute. And then as a mystic, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And you know, the the charge of the mystic is to ease suffering for all. And this is the best thing I can think to do in terms of making my contribution towards that end. And it's a little bit different because of those other two identities where the old stories kind of, I quit the rat race to go to the ashram. This one I think is a little bit about bringing that ashram to the rat race. But when you talked about as a marketer, talking to a friend of mine who wrote his first book and I said, oh my gosh, why did you spend that much time writing of it? And he said, you know, I want my grandkids to know who this guy was. And mm -hmm. For you as a market marketer, then is that was any of that part of your motivation to be able to share with the world who you are, who you were? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm sitting right next to uh, the the listeners won't be able to see this, but we're on camera, so you can see it. So here's my copy of the book on top of all of the drafts. Wow. <laughs> so, so there's good. reams of paper here. And when I was going through those first drafts, not knowing where this was going to lead, I was thinking about my, hopefully my children, which I don't have right now, but hope to have someday. Uh, I have a niece, so I know my family will go on. And something that my sister and I went through, we, you know, we, we lost our parents. And, and when we did, we went through their things. And I found my mother's old writing. I found her poetry. Oh. What, a, what a gorgeous, powerful experience that is. So I was thinking wow. like at, at a minimum, I know the power of committing to paper your deepest thoughts, you know, articulate it yes. as beautifully as you know how, at least for your family members. And who knows what they're going to do with it, right? And I certainly mm -hmm. channeled their spirit into this book. So they're in it, right? It it that those physical and cultural genes went onward. They they continued to live. So that that's a huge part of it. So I, I, I have a, a great affection for scripture, like the Bhagavad Gita, Genesis, you know, you know, tantric Shaivist texts, right? Old sutras, mm -hmm. the diamond sutra, source material, right? And one of those is uh, the keys of Solomon. And it's, it's written ostensibly by, by King Solomon. It's not for me to say the truth of the authorship, but it begins with him saying he's addressing his son. Rohobim. And he says, the whole thing is just a letter to his son. Right. And so like, yeah. it's such an intimate thing, but it has had such a massive world changing impact because that is like the source material for the whole idea of occultism in the Western world. The highest ambition and the most intimate ambition of creating art for me, which is who could it be just for like that, if it's just my niece who's alive right now, Julia, someday she's going to wonder who I was, right? right? And then at a larger scale, who is that stranger in the distance of time that might wonder what it was like to be alive today? And is there something I could do that's a positive contribution to both and hoping that it could be, you know, change something in some way? Well played. How mm -hmm. did you land where you currently are? You've, you're a creative guy with a lot of different backgrounds. 
What brought you to the current spot? Student loan debt. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I, I think one of the like most uh, uh, fearful periods of my life was after I graduated college, and um, you know that was a time also like I, I mentioned the loss of my parents. Like things really fell apart for me around then, and I the plans really also fell apart. And so I had about $120,000 in debt that was costing me $800 a month to pay back. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. And I was uh I was working at a music products company. I was uh waiting tables in the evening after office hours from 9 to 5. I was playing in bar bands on the weekend and I was teaching music lessons and I was just trying to make it all work. And it wasn't. And and a part of that was candidly, you know, Boston is a great place for a musician to learn, but it's a hard place for a musician to thrive. Is it? it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of my people moved out to Los Angeles and just things just ended up in a way where I was like, okay, I think I have more opportunity over there. And so I, I mustered everything that I could. Um, my uncle, he, he gave me some cash to help me with the move. And I would not have been able to do that without his help. And I had a friend that had recently moved from Boston and she got me uh, a job at Spin Magazine that was um, working on the transition from print magazine to digital. Mm -hmm. And it was like a bottom of the rung kind of job, just like basically like spreadsheet work. But it got me uh, in, into the media industry. And I had no idea how big this thing was. It was I like it, it it was the first time I, I learned what an ad server is. And at that company under that roof, we had so many remarkable people and so many remarkable brands. Um, because it was like Spin Magazine and Vibe Magazine, Hype Machine, Stereo Gum, the Kardashians websites, oh like all this stuff. And it was this moment of of major transition in culture and in media. And we were experimenting with these little ideas where one person would basically like experiment with something and that would become the whole idea of influencer marketing. Or another person was like, let's do music festival activations. Let's see what happens here. Or another person would come up with a new you know, playbook for branded content. Yeah. And I was it was a right place, right time kind of thing. And my musical training made me a weapon in brainstorms. My ability to just come up with an idea very quickly uh, just catalyzed a lot of um, a lot of rapid growth in my career over the course of like literally like two years. I just it just worked. And and I also think that Bostonian work ethic in Los Angeles <laughs> made, made a uh, it was like a it was like a superpower in a way. So oh <laughs> uh, and then and then I I ended up just like realizing that oh, there's more to creativity than being a bass player. And I started to, we talked a little bit here in this conversation about academic learning history of Western music and what now. And my compass, the needle of my compass shifted from virtuosity towards resonance. Hmm. Because as a musician, I was like, who are the best players and why aren't they as popular as they should be? And then I learned about what makes pop music popular because it moves people. And that has been core to my my creative practice uh, that I took to Reddit, and and that's that's a whole other story. But yeah, that's how just necessity really. The path of so many people starts with these 
unintended, I don't know, consequences or open doors when you just start meeting different people. And were you intentionally trying to just climb the ladder? Were you that type of ambitious or were you saying, no, I was just working hard, following my passion and the universe opened up to me? I couldn't tell if I was climbing or if things were falling down around me. (laughs) That's a good way. (laughs) Because it was really... Anybody that worked in uh, digital media for, you know, publishing uh, at that time of around, you know, 2012, 2013, it was very, very difficult. And the whole economics were changing. It was like farming in a time of drought, basically. Mm. Readers were becoming users. People weren't going to magazines or newspaper websites the way that they were. They were going to platforms like Reddit. And so it, it was just... I, here was my ethic, whatever my assignment was, was the foundation. And if I could get my work done, then the real game began with what I could do on top of that foundation. Like finishing my checklist was just being fit to play, but the real Mm -hmm. game took place on top of finishing my assignments. And I think that made a big difference. I've really been tuned into how hard work still matters. And if you have that work ethic, I think it still matters. I think it really helps you stand out. And what advice would you have for someone who may be listening that's, you know, in college, maybe not quite sure what they want to do, and they're just going to step out into the world? What advice do you have for them? Yeah. Well, you know, first the Boston LA thing, like I, to be clear, I have become very LA. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean exactly? I'm very Idaho, just so you know. (laughs) I I don't know what that means. I wrote a book about spirituality. Like that's, that's top on the list of LA things to do. Um, But uh, I would say that I've learned the pros and cons of both of those identities that I've worn as as costumes, basically. And so like that, that's a little bit of advice for anybody that's graduating from college is you don't have to be the person you are for the rest of your life. You're allowed to change. You're allowed to evolve. And the growth that I've had. I think if there's one thing that I could attribute to it most is is my willingness to let a version of myself die so that another version of myself could be born because that enables me to adapt with my surroundings, adapt with the time. And at the beginning, I brandished my identity as a Bostonian where I had lived for 10 years and I grew up outside the city. I brandished that identity as something that I could really draw strength from. And there was a lot of uncertainty for me in a strange place and working in an industry going through strange times, but I knew that I knew how to work. So if you know what you can do, you can just anchor down in that. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can actually be really simple. And then I didn't, I wasn't too myopic about it. I wasn't too attached to that identity because I, as I described it, it's like a foundation, it's a platform. And then I looked up, let's say like I I dedicated, let's say eight hours a day to doing my work. And and maybe that came from practicing my instrument for eight hours a day, right? So it's like, that's always going to happen no matter what. But the important thing is to look up afterwards and create space for something different. And that's where I learned about the power of brand. And I learned how social Los Angeles is and that how most of the great work that happens in the city happens at events. It happens at parties. It happens out at night. 
And when you have a brand, when you represent a brand and you have a story and then you have a point of view and something interesting to say, that's where you can make change happen for you in leaps and bounds. And I would I would say that that's the virtue of the Los Angeles work hmm. ethic, but I had to learn that. And I could only learn it by not being too attached to what I was holding onto as my source of strength. So my advice for college students is like, Know what you are, anchor down in what you have and use that as your foundation, but pick your head up and don't be afraid to change. As far as trying to open some doors and your initial entree into this this world, all it takes sometimes is someone to open the door. And one thing I've seen, Will, in my experience, and I wish I would have realized it earlier, people want to help. People really want to help you get to where you want to go. And so asking the question or asking for, who do you think I should meet? Here's where I want to go. Who else should I talk to about this? They just, they want to help you get to where you want to go. Absolutely. And I also noticed the difference between, let's call it the question of what do you do versus what are you making? Mm. And working at a company like a spin or like a Reddit that has a brand can facilitate a somewhat engaging conversation about what you do. But we're all pretty tired of that question. Aren't we the conversations that it leads to? Yeah. What are you making leads to much, much better conversation. And I found that when people learned that I was writing a book and still that have written a book, man, does that our hearts just open to each other. And yes. so that I think is something I can offer is have an answer to that question. What are you making? Because it's a better question than what do you do? Yes. I like that a lot. And for everyone listening, when you're at the soccer field uh, meeting new people, you're at a party, at, start asking some of those questions, trying some of those. What are you making? What project are you working on right now that you're most yeah. excited about? That It's just a whole different answer. And I'll even tie that back to my work. One of the things that I've realized telling Reddit's story is that what makes Reddit powerful is Reddit is where the best questions live. We even have famous questions like, is a hot dog a sandwich, right? And <laughs> everywhere else is trying to jam answers down our throats. And I think people are getting a little fed up with that. So that is something that I think the maker, the marketer, and the mystic, they all work with questions in, in different ways. But really, it's the mystic that that kind of training, you learn how to sit with uncertainty and ambiguity, and that there is a certain kind of knowledge that comes from being able to hold multiple ideas in your head at once. And that is... Um, there's systems and tools and skill sets that are contained in these esoteric arts and in the creative arts like music that I, I really wanted to bring to bear to the marketing world first and foremost, but to others because it was my privilege to receive them in my education. And if anything that I've learned as a marketer, it's that it's very powerful to just translate things and meet people where they're at and just say, hey, try this out for size. So the book is a series of questions. Every direction is a question. What is in front of you? What is behind you? So it's just an encouragement for people to ask questions because I want to know what other people's answers are because I'm not saying I know what to do, right? I'm just saying, here's a way to ask some questions so we can all figure this thing out right now. Can you talk about this, how to become a conscious participant in creation yeah. instead of drifting along? But what are some things that we could 
do. So I'm very, very much pointing to this notion that we are stuck in our heads. And a lot of our technology, what we see through our screens, engages only with our heads and bypasses our hearts, bypasses our guts. The present moment lives in the intelligence in your heart and it lives, well, I think what you ate last night lives in your gut, but you know, the very, the present moment it's in your heart, but in our head is just all of these fantasies, all of these distractions, all of these delusions, all of these great ideas, because it's an incredible machine, but creation, if it's unfolding in the present, doesn't happen in the fantasies in your head. It happens in how your heart is interacting with your environment around you. So that's why meditation and getting out of your head and into your heart is such a big focus in the book is I hope that it helps people. I hope that it continues to help me drop out of my head and into my heart and just be like, forget what I think. What do I know? Right? Because the head thinks the heart knows. And just, you know, before this uh, conversation, I was doing a little bit of meditation and I was just watching a lizard and just seeing how that lizard is doing today. And I was hearing the birds and how they were, you know, interacting with the wind. And then I was listening to the wind. That's what's going on right now. Yeah. Really just for being a human situational awareness, what is really going on around you? And, uh, you know, funny story. I was in Albuquerque for the solar eclipse. Uh, nice. over the weekend and I was standing in the field and I had like taken this, it was at the hot air balloon festival and I had taken this video and I was trying to upload it to my social feeds and I like couldn't find like a good pocket of service. And so I was staring at my phone, watching the upload screen and I looked up and all of a sudden I was surrounded by a dozen different Clydesdales on either side of me. And there were these uh, mounted police officers with these cowboy hats. And they said, one of them said, howdy. And then the other one said, situational awareness. <laughs> That's perfect. That is a great story. Yeah. So I, you know, am certainly far from perfect when it comes to this, but you, you grab it in moments, yeah. right? It's you, you show up for it when you can. All right. So now a, a follow-up question then is, but yet when you focus so much on one thing in this example, I want you to coach me on this. In life, you can focus so much on your career and on one aspect of it so much. You're just in the grind day in, day out, hustling that you don't pull up and look what's over the horizon. In fact, you shared a similar story about that, about, about you were able to do that and to see what's coming next. But I think a lot of people fall into that trap where they never take a moment to look up and say, okay, where should I be going next? What's on the horizon for me? Because they're just too focused on the day-to-day. -day. Do you agree with that? And how does this relate into which way is north? I do. Yeah. And so there's a phrase that I've used for myself. I think this might be the first time that I'll uh, actually like outwardly share it. The phrase is the myopic prison. Mm. And that is something that I, I have a, a chip in my shoulder about, and that chip was formed when I was staring up at my ceiling, not able to fall asleep because I didn't know what to do about my student loan debt. And my myopic prison was having to pay $800 a month just to participate in America. And I was angry about that. And I think that I've carried that with me in actually a positive way because it meant that I had to defer being an artist because I was stuck having to figure out what I have to do with my short-term responsibilities. 
And I experienced that throughout my career as well. That's what I'm talking about in terms of completing your assignments. What is your daily to-do list? That is your myopic prison. I was a salesperson as well. Your quarterly quota that forces you to think on a three-month timeline or if you're a good salesperson, six to 12 months because you're building right. your pipeline. But still, that is a myopic prison. People in the business world, the average shelf life of a CMO is a year and a half. And that too is being stuck in a myopic prison because you're not able to look up and think about the long-term. And it's the long-term where greatness happens. I mean, you can you can stunt in the short term. You can show amazing feats of agility, mental, creative, what have you. But I would encourage people to hold a little bit of anger about the myopic prison because that's a good reminder to just be like, I'm not going to let it keep me from looking up. It's like my responsibility that. to myself and the world. I like that a lot. Always leaving a little bit of that that chip on your shoulder, a little bit of that anger. Very Bostonian thing. You know, we we talk a lot about what is your why and why do you do what you do? For some people, a why is very transactional. Maybe they do want to make $500 a month. Um, for others, what I found is that the real deep drivers, you get down to this a soul type level, something that it may even be a little bit of a negative that you wounded me. And now I am out to prove that I can do more than you ever thought possible. And of course, mm -hmm. that can be a negative too if it, if it becomes an obsession and all consumes you. Your take on that and your experience? Yeah, I think that that's been really a big theme for this conversation. I think at the beginning of the book, I say like if if necessity is the mother of invention, anxiety is the father of creation. <laughs> and my why is, it's candidly, so like my 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 father was, um, he was a Renzai Zen Buddhist priest through an American order that had that had mm. come over over here. And so at a young age, I was really exposed to this idea of suffering, easing suffering for all living beings. And so suffering today is experienced quite a bit through anxiety. And right. I, I, I am an anxious person. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written a book so focused on anxiety. I realized that after I wrote the book, by the way, I was like, maybe you're just screaming at everybody what you're just trying to whisper to yourself. Um, oh, that's great. But the the why there is um, really having a deep sense of what are we going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? Because there's so much of it. Very lucky to be raised in an environment that could introduce me to the audacious idea that you can do something about it and that that's, that's a worthy mission to take. Boy, that is so key, that you can do something about it. And that's to me, that's a really big takeaway. So, Will, this this book is many things. I mean, if you're a creative, which we're all creative, but what about for those in the business world, maybe in sales, more specifically marketing? How would a marketer or a marketing team make use of some of these principles? Yeah, there's a couple of trends that are emerging in the space right now, purpose, brand purpose, and empathy. And I speak to those a lot uh, as, a, as a marketer. Uh, and in this book, I really, really went deep on both of those topics. And so the world of creativity and the world of mysticism will take you all the way into the deep end of what purpose can really be and what empathy can really be. When I'm working with executives, they're asking me, to help them find their brand purpose 
very often. And when I'm sitting with people with tarot cards, they're asking me very often to help them find their life purpose. And a lot of the methods for unfolding that story are contained in the book. It's, it's designed to help people do exactly that for themselves. I'm not telling people what to think, just right. offering one way to, of how. Well, look, your background, you win as far as having the most interesting background. Uh, you have a path through Zen monasteries. Uh, I understand there's a rock band connection. What's the rock band connection? We haven't talked about that. Yeah. So I, I played in a band uh, from the ages of, um, let's see, about 13 to I think 25 Okay. Um, and we were regionally successful and we did, we did really well. And it was absolutely my most salient identity. Really? And I, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I, I was, I was a pretty awkward kid. Didn't know like, you know, who I was or what I was doing until somebody put a, a bass in my hands. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it made me a little bit cooler and nice. I, I, I really wanted to, uh, invest a lot of energy in that. And and my best friends growing up, we were practicing through that whole time. I don't think we ever backed down from about once a week, at least sometimes twice a week, we lived in a house together and we were very much living in the construct of the mythology of the Beatles. And, and that was, I think that for, for, for people of my age, um, you know, growing up in the suburbs in America, like building the rock band was just like, is is a huge fantasy that's available for people to live and and I think we did a really really good job of that I, I I wish that we had flown the way that I thought we could but we didn't and that's okay because I learned a lot in the process and and I built my most cherished friendships in that process boy that, and that's a huge win right there at, yeah. the, end of, at the end of all it at gave all. me purpose too yeah. Uh, what, what's the name of your band? We were called The Help. The Help. Yeah. That's so good. I just listened to an interview with Howard Stern and Keith Richards. I'm not sure if you've heard that interview yet. I haven't. It, fascinating. But they were talking about how to hold how to hold the guitar when you're playing. Um, and he mm. was saying, no, you got to hold it low. You got to hold it really, really low. If you hold it up high. Oh, I know what it was. If you hold it up high like the Beatles, like it was uh, hold it up high like John Lennon, you're going to hurt your back. Anyway, it, it was they were speaking Greek because I'm not a uh, bass player or a musician. But well, no, that's you... that's really interesting because I always felt this tension between uh, where I where I set my bass because really? um, yeah, like especially you know around that time you would have like Blink One Eighty Two was really big and like Nirvana oh, yeah. was really big, right? So their guitars were really, really low. And it was about like, there's a certain power pose that you do there. (laughs) And I, I couldn't use my hands the way that I wanted to. And I kind of prided myself as like an intricate musician. And so then you had the other end of the spectrum, you have these like gospel bass players who like the, it's like up to their chin. Right. (laughs) And they're just like, right. And I had to figure out where it was for me. And it felt like there was a tension between looking cool and playing cool. Yes. That's exactly what they were talking about. Well, it sounds like you just got the title of your new book after which ways. (laughs) (laughs) What is it you would hope someone would think or do differently as a result of reading this fantastic book of yours? Believe in the heart. And the intelligence of the heart, not as a poetic metaphor, but as something that is literal, that there is a, another brain that we have that we're missing out on, believing in the heart. 
it's a whole different perspective on mindset in in a way. Well, if the heart is connected to the mind, I think I'm starting to get this correlation, this connection. Will, what is the best way to follow you and stay in touch with all the cool things you're up to? Uh, I'm on all the socials. I'm really on Instagram and LinkedIn. Those have kind of been the ones. So W-I-L-L-C-A-D-Y is my handle. At the end of every podcast, I ask my guests, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? So to you, Will, what do you got for us? So one dare is to ask people, what are you making instead of what do you do? Let's double down on that. It's a great one. And one we can practice right away. Mm -hmm. So Will, thank you so much for your time. This is really good having you here on the podcast. I really appreciate your perspective on creativity and also about this question of which way is north and not answering it for us, but you're, you're throwing it out there in a really profound way. And this, this interview is going to hang with a lot of people, myself included. So. So. so thank you, Will, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay, that was Will Katie. Hope you enjoyed getting to know him. I know I sure did. I love talking to entrepreneurs and creative people and individuals with really diverse backgrounds, and Will checks all those boxes and then some. What's the one thing you're going to take away from this interview? For me, I loved his I Dare You Challenge, I got to tell you. What are you making? Okay, if you like this episode, who can you share this with? Friends, family, important to you? Share that with them. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, another great one. We're going to talk about financial wellness and how to break free from broke. It's going to be a fun discussion about money and finances and an action plan that we can use. So I will see you next week in the I Dare You podcast. I'll see you there.